from uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast, where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous vile and disturbing behaviors. I apologize in advance for my voice. I've been sick. Special thanks to some of my patrons, Shannon, Rebecca, Walter, Jennifer, Elena, Elise, Ariel, Chantel, Stacy, Jessica, my dear two Emmas, Whitney, Rachel, Alethea, Catherine, Linda, Teresa, Sophie, Nanette, David, Trudy, and John. Thank you so much. You are truly appreciated. And for anyone else, Please feel free to join my patron, like, share, and subscribe. It just might help our community grow. And if you happen to watch on YouTube and also use Spotify, consider watching on Spotify instead as they have been kind enough to sponsor me and we all know how YouTube treats us. But my podcasts are all written in advance with the listener only in mind, so nothing is missed. Today's podcast will be a tough one as it involves the assault of children. So this one strongly comes with my disclaimer, disclaimer. Today, we are talking about Anatoly Slivko. Anatoly Slivko was born on December 28, 1938 in what is now Ukraine, but was then Dagestan, ASSR, Soviet Union. So as we always do. Let's get into some history for that time, as it can have an effect on the parents and, more specifically, the mother during her pregnancy and birth. Economies around the globe were struggling, with the U.S. having 19% unemployment. In Germany, Enrico Fermi began experimenting with radioactivity and atomic energy and unknowingly demonstrated nuclear fission with uranium. He was awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1938 for the discovery of new elements related to the yet unidentified fission process. Germany, France, Italy, and the UK signed the Munich Agreement, which allowed Germany to annex part of the area of Czechoslovakia, which was a region where about 3 million Germans lived. Nazi Germany had already successfully annexed Austria in the earlier part of the year, apparently, with zero international consequences. Czechoslovakia had not yet been included in the discussions over the agreement, but when faced with the idea of resisting Germany alone, they agreed to submit to the demands. By spring of the next year, Nazi Germany had completely annexed the whole of Czechoslovakia. And as it were, Germany had already been increasingly warlike and anti-Semitic since Hitler had taken over the country. Many more dramatic events would happen to ramp up to the beginning of World War II in the following year, and acts against Jewish persons in Europe became more aggressive. 
Germany began deporting Polish Jews to Poland, though Poland refused to accept the majority of them, leaving these people to live on the border between the two countries. Germany then introduced a law that required people who were Jewish but didn't have a traditional Jewish name to add either Israel or Sarah to their names. Passports of German Jews were declared invalid, and they were required to have the letter J stamped onto their passports for them to become valid again. In November, the Nazis attacked Jewish businesses throughout the country, destroying 267 synagogues, 7,500 Jewish businesses were looted and destroyed, and at least 91 people were killed, along with up to 30,000 Jewish men arrested. The German government then closed all Jewish businesses. This is when Jewish parents began sending their children to the UK in hopes that they could escape from some of the persecution. Up to 10,000 children were saved and nearly all of their parents perished in the concentration camps. And to move on to things less horrific, also in 1938, Orson Welles' radio adaptation of The War of the Worlds was broadcast, causing mass panic in the eastern United States. The War of the Worlds was a radio adaptation of the H.G. Wells's novel of the same name. It was directed by future film genius Orson Welles for the Mercury Theater on the air radio show on October 30th. The radio drama began with an announcement that let listeners know that it was not a real news broadcast. However, many listeners missed the disclaimer as they were switching stations from another program. The play was broadcast without commercials and was done in a style that emulated real breaking news reports, creating a realistic feeling to the drama. The reports chronicled an alien invasion of the eastern United States. After the play had ended, newspapers reported that the broadcast had incited a mass panic in the country, stating that many believed the hoax to be real. While it is true that some listeners were disturbed by the fake reports, there was no evidence of a mass panic taking place. In reality, not very many people had actually listened to the program, and it is thought that many of the reports were made up by newspapers who had been angry that the booming business of radio was increasingly taking a large portion of their ad revenue. The RMS Queen Mary broke the record for the fastest passenger liner to cross the Atlantic Ocean. A 450 metric ton meteorite struck Earth in an empty field in Pennsylvania. The infamous Howard Hughes set the new round the world record in three days and 19 hours, and Italy won the World Cup. The first use of seeing eye dogs also occurred this year. Some notable people born this year are Evil Knievel, Christopher Allen Lloyd, Ted Turner, John Voigt, who's Angelina Jolie's father, Bernie Madoff, and Kenny Rogers. So this was the atmosphere that Anatoly was born into. Now, he was the oldest of two children and was born to impoverished parents. The area they lived in was still recovering from a horrible famine during that time. As an infant, it was said that he had hydrocephalus, for those who might not know, according to the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke, quote, 
Hydrocephalus is an abnormal buildup of fluid in the ventricles or cavities deep within the brain. This excess fluid causes the ventricles to widen, putting pressure on the brain's tissues. It can affect anyone at any age, but is most common in infants and older adults. Some of these cases can be associated with abnormalities in the brain and spinal cord during pregnancy. It may be persistent at birth or congenital, or may develop over time as a result of injury or disease, meaning acquired. Congenital or babies born with hydrocephalus or develop the condition shortly after delivery may be caused by inherited genetic abnormalities that block the flow of CSF, developmental disorders such as those associated with birth defects in the brain, spine or spinal cord, complications of premature birth such as bleeding within the ventricles or infection during pregnancy such as rubella that can cause inflammation in the fetal brain tissue. Acquired hydrocephalus comes with certain factors that can increase the risk of developing hydrocephalus at any age, including brain or spinal cord tumors, infections of the central nervous system such as bacterial meningitis, or injury or stroke that causes bleeding in the brain. Signs and symptoms in infants include a rapid increase in head size, a bulge on the soft spot on top of the head, vomiting, problems sucking or feeding, sleepiness, irritability, eyes that are fixed downward, also called sunsetting, or not able to turn outward, and seizures. Though serious, I couldn't seem to find if or what was done to help Anatoly with his condition, but suffice to say he did survive. It was also said that he suffered from insomnia as a small child, and since his family had very little food, he was quite visually emaciated. So while Anatoly was still a young child, his father was drafted into the army to fight in World War II. He was then captured as a prisoner of war, but was eventually released. When his father returned home, the local people made fun of him and called him a coward. Due to this, Anatoly was bullied horribly as a child and adolescent. When he would scramble into a nearby cemetery to escape the German bombing raids, the other kids would shove him away from them because he was so very thin and weak-looking and, according to Anatoly, he watched the mutilated remains of a woman and a horse strewn across a nearby street. Can you imagine? But circling back, due to his childhood illnesses, he also suffered with several urinary tract issues, causing him to wet the bed far beyond what would be considered reasonable and it also caused him to have erectile dysfunction as a teen. And as any of us could imagine, due to his health issues that stemmed from illness and extreme poverty and lack of food, Anatoly Slivko felt constant shame and kept himself isolated from his peers growing up. He was a loner, usually always described as quiet and inside his head most of the time. Anatoly feared that he was completely impotent and did not have relationships with girls during his later years of school purposefully. 
It was said that he knew he was homosexual, but did not dare to speak about it for fear of the very real repercussions for the times and the region he lived in. He did manage to finish high school, but failed his entrance exam to Moscow State University, so he did his required draft for the National Service for some time, but eventually moved to Stravropol on the Rostov Oblast in 1960 and worked as a telephone engineer. He was then 22 years old. And that was his childhood, so let's take a look. To put it bluntly, Anatoly was a sickly child. Hydrocephalus is no joke. It can permanently damage the brain, causing problems with physical and mental development. If untreated, it is usually fatal, so this makes one assume he was treated. In cases with childhood hydrocephalus, cognitive changes include inattention, memory complaints, apathy, emotional lability, or exaggerated changes in mood and disinhibition, disturbances in memory and executive functions, including slowed mental processing speed, are the most common findings. And then we have the issue with his insomnia. According to Boston Children's Hospital, quote, Insomnia in children can begin at any time, from infancy through adolescence, and in some cases can develop into a long-term problem. Symptoms can include bedtime refusal and struggles going to bed, difficulty falling asleep once in bed, frequent or prolonged night wakings with difficulty returning to sleep on their own, waking earlier than desired, trouble waking in the morning or getting up for school, end quote. Causes are the usual sleep disorders, such as restless leg syndrome or obstructive sleep apnea, medical, mental, or developmental conditions, certain medications, and anxiety or stress, which I believe is the case with Anatoly, which leads me to my next point. His family was incredibly poor, and famine was still a very real situation in his region. He was said to be emaciated. It goes without saying that chronic hunger in children would cause devastating harm. Not having enough healthy food can have serious implications for a child's physical and mental health, academic achievement, and future economic prosperity. Research shows an association between food insecurity and delayed development in young children, risk of chronic illnesses like asthma and anemia, and behavioral problems like hyperactivity, anxiety, and depression in school-age children. Then we have the shame unnecessarily brought down on the family by the locals because his father went off to fight in the war only to be captured, held as a prisoner of war, and then released. Anatoly was bullied, and they called his father a coward. Tensions and attitudes were highly intensified during this time, as any one of us can imagine, due to the very real-life starvation and war that consumed every part of their day-to-day -day lives. He also witnessed his parents constantly fighting as they did not get along, and it was said his father was an alcoholic. The gore that lay around due to the war for him to witness as a child, all of these factors, I believe, would have played a pivotal role in his later crimes. So let's get back to the story. So a turning point in Anatoly's life was when he was 23 years old. 
He witnessed a horrific traffic accident involving a motorcyclist. The driver was apparently drunk, and he swerved into a group of people, specifically striking a young teenage boy and killing him. Anatoly later stated, quote, The boy had experienced convulsions in his death throes as the smell of gasoline and fire permeated the air. That boy looked so helpless, especially in his uniform. It reminded me of how I felt inside myself after a childhood of pain and suffering. Each time he cried out in agony, I became more excited. By the time of the boy's death, I became oblivious to everyone else apart from that boy. I felt the attraction to boys for the first time in my life. There was a lot of blood and gasoline on the asphalt. The smell of gasoline and fire. I suddenly felt a desire to hurt a young boy like him. The feeling haunted me. But after five, six months, after an ejaculation during sleep, the same excitement rose again and consistently pursued me. End quote. It was said he ejaculated at the scene and he described it as quite powerful. So, this would seem to be the no-turning-back point for him, and the intrusive thoughts and compulsion began. He met a gorgeous young lady named Luidmilia at work. The two began dating, but they never had any physical contact, no kissing, no touching. But she agreed to marry him. Anatoly later said their marriage was nearly sexless. He said that he loved his wife very much, that he was completely committed and devoted to her. He wanted to be able to have sex with her, but was just unable to. He and his wife were living their lives as young couples do, and he even found a passion for filmography and did actually get some local accolades for some short film documentaries on the atrocities of the war, and he enjoyed the positive attention he received for once in his life. Anatoly then began working for a children's club, or the equivalent of the Boy Scouts, if you will. Now, Anatoly had a passion for tourism and was very knowledgeable about the region, so he was hired to plan and organize outdoor activities for the children, which mostly involved hiking. He immediately got caught up in just how much the boys loved to sit and listen to him when he spoke about various topics. The boys looked up to him and admired him, and soon enough, Anatoly couldn't seem to control his impulses anymore, and he began to abuse his position of power. You see, he was unable to shake the memory in his mind of that boy that was killed in the accident and the subsequent fantasies he began having about it. In 1963, he could control it no longer and began to use his trusted position to lure adolescent boys into his experiments. What kind of experiments, you ask? Well, he would befriend one of the boys, usually between the ages of 12 to 15, and the boy would generally be small for his age. The young pioneer's uniform was a must, since that's what the boy had been wearing when Anatoly saw him die from being hit by the motorcycle. He would then tell the boy that the experiment involved a supervised hanging to stretch the spine to potentially make the boy taller. 
Anatoly would sometimes tell the boy that it was to reenact a scene of a prisoner executed by Nazis that he was filming. He would tell the boy not to worry, that if he went unconscious, Anatoly would revive him immediately. Prior to this agreement, he would go out and buy a brand new uniform and shoes. Then he would take the time to shine the shoes himself, like to perfection, making sure everything was pristine. He would also tell the boy not to eat anything for several hours before the experiment in an effort to ensure the boy wouldn't throw up on the new clean uniform. Once he got the boy off alone and away from the view of anyone else, he would hang the boy until he was unconscious, then take his clothes off lie him down to hug and caress, and he would film the entire encounter. Most of the time, he would pose the boy's bodies in sexual poses and then take care of himself, if you will. Anatoly Slivko continued to do his experiments with the boys for a few months. And then in June 1964, he heard 15-year-old Nikolai Dobryeshev talking about a paper he was writing for school about the limits of human capabilities. Anatoly took the opportunity to volunteer to help the teen with a scientific experiment to verify his hypothesis. Anatoly then got the teen by himself and hung him, only this time the boy had actually died. Now, he always stated the death had been an actual accident and that he had desperately tried to resuscitate the youth, but it didn't work. So he dismembered the teen and buried the remains. He then destroyed any and all photographs and film he took of the boy. He did, however, keep the shoes of the victim as a trophy. During all of this, Anatoly Slivko and his wife managed to somehow have two sons together in the all of a dozen times that they had sex, where he had managed to be able to perform. And it is important to note that he was a well-respected member of the community as he treated his wife very well and was also considered a good father. The locals were obviously well aware that he was like a Boy Scouts leader. Then in May 1965, he would claim his second victim, Aleski Kovalenko. Again, he talked the boy into going off to a secluded area under the guise of doing an experiment. He hung the boy with the full intention of reviving him, but was again unable to. So he did the same to Alexei as he had done to the first keeping the boy's clothes and shoes as his trophy. Except this time, he kept the footage in the form of photographs and film, and he began saving the photos and videos from the boys that didn't die, and he used them for his private sexual fantasies. As the years went on, he was successful at resuscitating each other boy until eight years later. In November 1973, Another boy would lose his life to the then 35-year-old Anatoly Slivko. This time, after the boy died, he dismembered him, then set his limbs on fire to recreate the accident he had witnessed so many years ago that set his deviancy and sadism into motion. He loved this so much that he murdered another boy only a few months later. 
in total. Sources say that he went to sexually exploit as many as 43 boys, and thankfully most of them went on to live normal lives. Now, one of the mothers of a slain boy told the police that her son had said he was going out to a nearby forest to take part in a film that Anatoly was making. The police didn't feel he had done anything to the boy because, you know, he had such a good reputation. So they thought nothing of it and moved on. In November 1985, an investigator was looking into the disappearance of Sergei Pavlov and the club he belonged to, and the boy said he was going to go hang out at the club. She began questioning many of the boys who had once been or were in the club, and she discovered something troubling. Some told her stories about how they'd suffered, quote, temporary amnesia, and that Anatoly had talked them into doing experiments with him when these episodes happened. The investigator coordinated a thorough search of Anatoly's home, as well as the youth club facility. They found incriminating evidence in his home, but a search of a locked darkroom at the club revealed the disturbing photographs and films showing him hanging, molesting, and dismembering his victims. After a long inquiry, Anatoly Slivko was arrested in December 1985 at his home and was eventually charged with a total of seven murders, seven counts of sexual abuse, and necrophilia, and he was sentenced to death. In January and February 1986, Anatoly led the police to the remains of the bodies of six of his victims, although he was not able to find the body of his first victim. Interestingly, in 1989, he actually worked with the police to help arrest another serial killer, none other than Andre Chikatilo, who had killed 53 children and women. Anatoly wasn't a huge help, but thankfully Andre was arrested the next year. Only a few hours after he was interviewed by the police to help with the Chikatilo case, Anatoly Slivko was executed by shooting a single gunshot wound to the head. During Anatoly's confession, it was said that he blamed his crimes on the stress and anxiety from his sexual frustration. He said he used the snuff films and photos to, quote, fuel his erotic fantasies via masturbational outlets and to relieve internal tension, end quote. Slivko also claimed that, initially, he had hoped that his retaining the photographs and films of his fatal hangings would suffice to prevent a resurfacing of the desire to commit future homicides, although, as time passed, the intervals between the urge to murder and dismember a new victim gradually decreased. His murder victims, he stated, had all been aged between 11 and 15. In interviews following his arrest, Slivko insisted he had initially attempted to suppress the urge to reenact the traffic accident. Although the urge became too constant and potent, and he soon surrendered to his will, this compulsion we hear so often about from serial killers. He also told investigators he never selected a youth older than 17, both because the boy killed in the 1961 traffic accident, which had sparked his fantasies, had been in his early teens, and out of concerns regarding the victim's physical strength. 
As the years went on, his experiments and videos were more gruesome. In one video, Slivko arranged a severed head in the middle of a circle surrounded by severed feet and polished boots. Like a drug addict, boundaries must be pushed further and further, trying to chase that high. But tell me guys, what do you think? Leave me a comment below or you can DM me on Instagram at serial underscore killing. All of my contact information is below. And as always, thank you so much guys for listening. And even though I'm still sick and my voice is terrible, I appreciate every single one of you because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. Yeah, anybody who killed more than two or three people was a mass murderer. And whether it was all at one place or over an extended period of time, and then uh, in the early 80s, they came up with this differentiation called serial killing.